Well, there was a, uh, a Portuguese explorer by the name of Bartholomew Diaz who's believed to be the first man to have navigated the southernmost tip of South Africa. And on this journey, it was extremely stormy, very treacherous, and then when he finally arrived at his destination, he gave it the name the Cape of Storms. Now, it's interesting because if you were to look it up today, you would not see that it's referred to as the Cape of Storms. Rather, it's referred to as the Cape of Good Hope. That's because as the years went on and more explorers began to navigate this stretch of water, they, they, they took heed of the warning, be careful, you don't want to die, it's kind of stormy, you know, just, just be, on, uh, be on the lookout. But they began to realize the speed and the opportunity that always awaited them, the amount of time that they would save as a result, and so now it's referred to as the Cape of Good Hope. It's interesting because here we have one cape with two different names. One refers to perhaps the the outlook that things aren't looking so good, be careful, it's kind of a negative connotation. And the other one is the perspective of what could be. Imagine what arrives and waits for you at the other side. It's because perspective has a chance to change our view of hope, does it not? I believe this is kind of like an illustration and a great analogy for life. You ever meet one of those eternal optimists? Maybe perhaps you are one or there's one in your family where where everything can seem to be kind of unraveling at the seams. The the thread of the sweater, so to speak, has been pulled and yet they still find joy and happiness and peace and nothing can ever seem to bother them. You know someone like that? At the other end of the spectrum, though, there's the person who would say is maybe perhaps the eternal pessimist, that everything could be going their way. All the ducks are lined up in a row. Everything is is the way it ought to be, yet there's that one tiny issue that's kind of off, and they seem to just get all, all, you know, just kind of all, all stressed and anxious and worried about it, that everything could be good except that one little piece, and it seems like all hope has been lost altogether. Because perspective changes a lot of things in our life, especially when it comes to hope. And for Christians and non-Christians alike, we try to find hope because we all know that life is going to throw us curveballs from time to time. If you've ever seen the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, it's a phenomenal movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. At the end of the movie, Red, it was played by Morgan Freeman, he finally gets to the spot where he's supposed to meet up with Andy, Andy's not there, but he finds a letter, and this letter written to him begins with this saying, it says, remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Today we're in week two of our Advent teaching series called Long Expected, and that's what Advent is. It's this waiting period in which we prepare for the birth and the arrival of our Savior Jesus. And we've been saying that kind of the whole big idea of Christmas is pretty simple. It's that Christmas is God's kingdom coming to life. That's what Christmas is all about, is that that, that, that God sent his son Jesus, who was born in a major of the Virgin Mary some couple thousand years ago in the little town of Bethlehem. And the season of Advent comes with these four key words, peace, hope, joy, and love, that kind of build the cornerstone foundation, not just of the Christmas season, but of the Christian faith as well. Last week, we talked about how hope was broken, but because of the arrival of Jesus, hope can be, uh, peace can be restored. And this week, if you would let me, I want to unpack this simple idea for us, and it's that hope is promised, that hope is promised. The truth of the matter is that hope is offered in a lot of different ways for a lot of different things, right? 
I mean, think about it. There's some sports franchises. There's some universities who their entire program is built on hope. They get the star recruit, the new coach. They got a change in ownership. Things are going to be really looking up this year. Let's just be honest what, for what it is. The Lovey Smith era here at U of I was just a giant piece of hope pie, was it not? Okay, sorry, a little too bitter for some of us. We've moved on. But hope really sells us on some things, does it not? Think about you're your, your kind of upset with your job, and so you turn in a new application to a different company. You have hope that things might go your way. Or perhaps you or someone you love is facing some type of illness or cancer, and you begin to receive those treatments, that chemotherapy. Why? Because you have hope that it will bring healing. The interesting thing about hope is, and I think sometimes we miss this, is we don't know what we need hope for until we realize that we actually need hope, right? Ignorance doesn't breed hope in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. And so I believe our first question for this morning is, why is hope a thing? Why is hope necessary in the first place for us as human beings? And I want to begin this morning by reading the words by the man, uh, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And if there's anyone who understood the need for hope, it would have been this guy, who lived during the time of Jesus, a few decades after Jesus uh, lived, died, and rose again. But Paul understood the need for hope. You see, Paul had been shipwrecked on multiple trips trying to start new churches. He had been whipped and beaten three times within an inch of his life. He'd been thrown into prison and house arrest on several occasions for doing what he believed God had called him to do, which was to preach the gospel and start churches. If there's anyone who understood the need for hope, it was Paul. But look at what he says in his letter to the church in Rome about hope and its place as a Christian and as a disciple of Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, you can follow along with me. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And then he says in verse 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I believe Paul paints two clear pictures here. Number one, he talks about this groaning of mankind in creation. He literally says things are kind of falling apart. Everything's a little bleak, unfortunately. Creation is starting to decay. There's an outward, things just aren't the way that God created them to be. And it's a reality that we all know and realize around us. And then he says something interesting by following up. He says, and you have a hope that is waiting for you, but it will come later on. 
That hope is not yet received, it comes later. And what Paul is referring to is there will come a time in history, there will come a time throughout eternity in which God will piece back together this world, this creation, the way that shalom will be restored as he intended it to be, but it's not yet. But Paul said something even more interesting, perhaps you picked it up, because it already catches my attention when he said, hope in what is seen or what you have is no hope at all. That sounds kind of weird. Or does it? You see, that's because hope is where you turn when you're out of options, ideas, or answers. Is it not? When you've run out of all the ideas, you've gone through the list, you don't know where to go next, that's when you rely on hope. When you don't have any answers, you don't have any options, you've kind of flipped through every single thing that you knew what to do, sometimes all you're left with is this idea of, well, let's just hope to see how things work out. See, the Apostle Paul will go on later to say in chapter 15, he says, may the hope of God fill you with joy. May you overflow with the hope of the power of the Spirit. We say at some point, everything will be put back together. Everything will be restored. But until then, you have received and know this hope that will last for eternity. Basically, what Paul is saying, things won't be perfect in this life, but they will in the future. And so if you believe in a good God, a holy God, a merciful God, a graceful God, and you know that that's coming, guess what he's already begun to do in you? is making that thing that's coming off in the future a reality in you here and now. Namely, as Christians, that is our call, is to begin to live out the hope that we know is waiting for us down the road. That God will ultimately do for everything what he has already begun to do for the believer because of the name of Jesus. Think about how Jesus constantly brought hope throughout his ministry. Let me give you one story, for example. In, in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters this woman at a well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus was a Jew, and so they kind of weren't supposed to be seen talking with one another. There was like this long history of blood feud. And Jesus goes to this well outside of the city at high noon. And you would never go to get water at the highest point of the day, the hottest point of the day, because your water wouldn't be as crisp or refreshing. Yet she chose to go because she didn't want to be around anyone. She was somewhat of an outcast. She was kind of pushed aside. Her life had taken a steep downhill turn, and it just seemed to be getting worse and worse. And Jesus approaches her, and he begins to ask her about her life, and he says, so, so tell me about the man you're living with. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. You've been married and divorced five times, and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. She begins to get amazed, and she begins to probably get a little concerned. I came here at this point in the day because I didn't want to be around anyone. I came at this point in the day because I'm kind of ashamed of my life. I came at this point in the day because no one has really welcomed me. I'm a less than member of society. What are you doing talking to me, sir? You think she needs a little bit of hope in her life? Because clearly what she's been hoping for and hoping in isn't working out. She's been looking for purpose and meaning. She's been looking for some type of fulfillment. And she's gone from man to man, marriage to marriage. And they're not working out. And they probably get a little bit shorter each and every time. And so she's left with nothing. And you think she needs a little bit of hope? You know what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't approach the lady and say, hey, lady, I just want you to know. (laughs) At some point in the future, it's going to be okay. Just hang in there a little bit longer. Just kind of pull your bootstraps up just a little bit higher. You'll get through it. It'll it'll all get better. He doesn't say that at all. He gives her the truth. He says there will come a time in history 
will everyone will know and worship the one true God. But then he offers her an invitation. He says, but I am that living water and you can begin now. See, Jesus' hope was always twofold. It was always, here is what will happen. At some point, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But until then, you can begin that new life. I am that living hope. Because the same for that woman is the same for us. It's simply, we need hope, do we not? It takes nothing but a few minutes on social media or turn on your favorite news channel and you begin to realize the world needs hope. We're not ignorant that the world is kind of not the way we think it ought to be. And hopefully, we are humble enough to realize that if the entire world needs hope, then I probably need hope in my life as well. Whether it's food, safety, comfort, relationship, healing, let me remind us all again, let me remind you again, that hope is promised. And there's a lot of things promising you hope. But there is only one hope that is lasting, and that is the hope found in Jesus. Leads us to our second question for this morning, then, I believe, is so where do you look for your hope in life? There's a man by the name of Peter. He's one of Jesus' closest friends. He was the, the, the first man to start the Christian church, so to speak. And he writes this letter in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 21. He kind of unpacks this idea a little bit. He says this, he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down but to you from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. You know, I grew up in Southern California, and so we spent a lot of time at the beach. And I remember when we first started going to the beach a bunch, my dad uh, taught me how to catch sand crabs. Now, if you don't know what sand crabs are, they kind of look like these little bugs, and they burrow into the sand, but you can scoop them up and sift away all the sand and water. Then you got a bunch of, like, little pets to hang out with today. It's super fun. You can give them names, or you can toss them back. It's whatever. And I remember the first time, so we went out to the water, and as the, as the tide kind of receded, my dad reached down, and he took up this big handful and just looked like a handful of sand and he plopped it into a sift and he began to sift it away and as the sand and water went away, there was like 20, 30 little sand crabs. I was like, wow, this is cool. So we put them in a bucket and we just keep doing it over and over again. What are you going to do with a bunch of sand crabs? Nothing. They're just fun and, and you, just, you just hang out with them. They're your buddies for the day. And so we go, we take it, and then we went back, and I don't know, had a snack or something, and then I was like, I'm going to go catch some more sand crab. So I kind of run out all the way to the shore and wait for the water to go back, and I reach down my hand, confident, and I put it into the sift, and I shh, and all the sand, and there was no sand crabs to be found. And I began freaking out. I'm like, come on, where are all the crabs at? I mean, my dad did it so easily. He just reached down, grabbed some random sand, put it in there. Boom, there were sand crabs. And Mary goes, Dad, why can't I find sand crabs like you? And he simply said, you have to know where to look. He said, you don't just look anywhere. You don't just grab a random handful of sand. I said, oh, yeah? I didn't do that. 
And he said, you got to look for when the tide goes back, it'll make these little V's, and you'll see a whole group of them together. That's where they're starting to dig down. And if you go fast enough, that's how you can scoop them up and put them in. I believe the same is with hope. You have to know where to look to find what you're looking for. I think a lot of us, we look for a lot of things to bring us hope in life. Comfort, security, certain feelings or emotions. And Peter put it best when he said, let me remind you, you've tried gold, you've tried silver, you've tried the ways of the world, and it's still found wanting. But let me tell you that God set apart his son Jesus from the beginning of creation to be your eternal, lasting hope. That before the world was created, before people were created, before bank accounts existed, before substances were discovered, before families were born, you have a hope that was established in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And that hope has been promised and it has been delivered and it will be with you till the end of the age. The question is, where are you looking for hope? You see, I believe that we can be hopeful when it feels hopeless because Jesus is our promised hope. God didn't say, welcome to the kingdom of God, welcome into my family, but you need to kind of, you know, try to build up that bank account and you'll really feel secure there. Welcome to the kingdom of God, disciple. Live this way, but you also need to find your hope in those emotions, in those feelings, in what you choose to do, what the flesh desires. He says, no, 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 no. You look to the promised hope that's been constant throughout all of history. Because we know that if you look to the bottle, the relationship, the bank account, you fill in the blank for yourself. It might have worked for a little bit, right? Let's be honest but then it probably faded, or you needed a little bit more, or it wasn't quite as strong as it used to be. Slowly, it wasn't enough. And I believe what Peter would say, what Jesus would say to us is, where are you looking for your hope? When you feel hopeless in life, where are you trying to find hope? Are you looking for eternal hope in a temporary solution, or are you looking for the only eternal hope that is real and lasting in the name of Christ? How can the Christian hopefully, endure suffering? How can the Christians abroad who face persecution day after day after day, how can the followers of Jesus who face illness or cancer or trial or brokenness of life still get up day after day after day? I believe there's a good God, a loving God, a caring God, a merciful God. It's not because we just have hope. Because a lot of people have hope. Rather, rather, it's where we look and find our hope. That hopefully the follower of Jesus doesn't look to the things of this life to offer an eternal hope. That we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the only eternal hope. A hope that begins today and endures for tomorrow. And the truth of the matter is, is that hope is a waiting game, isn't it? The only time will tell if your hope truly rests in something that lasts. That's what we call hope. We don't talk about sureness. We talk about hope. Hey, how do you feel about this opportunity? Are you hopeful? I know things aren't going my way. Are you feeling a little hopeless? We don't talk about sureness, being sureful or sureless. We talk about hope because we're out of options. We're out of ideas. We're out of answers. I got nowhere else to turn. I've tried a bunch of other stuff. What do I have left? And that is the hope of Jesus. 
the hope of Jesus, that at some point everything will be the way it ought to be, but that hope begins here and now. The, the promise began for creation, and in century after century later, that hope was born through the birth of Jesus Christ, but now that hope lives in us through the power of his Spirit. And I believe as Christians in the church, we're not just supposed to have hope, but we're supposed to proclaim it. We're supposed to worship it. We're supposed to pass it around because our hope rests in the hands of Jesus. This is a pivotal cornerstone of the life of Christ. Look at uh, the Gospel of Matthew puts it this way. In Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18 through 21. This is actually a quote from the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It says, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will not break his back, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their some 700 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah says, hope is coming. But let me say that again. 700 years of waiting and believing that that hope is coming. When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to go to Israel. I had a chance to go to the Holy Land for about a week and a half on a trip. And it was just mind-blowing. It's crazy. If you ever have the opportunity to go, I suggest you, you, you take that chance. But it was crazy. So we'd go to all of these sites. We'd go, this is probably the garden tomb, and this is a Golgotha, and this is probably where Jesus was crucified, and here's Herod's temple, and you can still see a lot of it. And just, you go there, just like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Look, at this is where Jesus walked, and this is where he was baptized, and this is where he did that miracle with the fish, and that other miracle with the fish, and that other miracle. He did a lot of miracles with fish, but, man, it was just like everywhere, Okay. And it was really weird because at the same time, too, all of our tour guides who lived there, and they would go to the site, and we'd say, this is the Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus calmed that storm. And, and we're over there freaking out. We're reading the passages. We're taking pictures, you know, like, like this. We're like, hey, Jesus is here in spirit. We're going, I'm just kidding. That'd be weird. But all the tour guides were just like, yeah, whatever. Been there. Seen it a hundred times. I don't know. I don't think it's that impressive. It is what it is. Nothing to see, really. It's just kind of like a desert. Water, fish, big rock, whatever. Something can be right in front of your eyes, and you miss it. But at the same time, too, you could never see it. You could never smell it, touch it, taste it. And you can have all the hope and the faith in the world. And that is the power of the gospel. Some of us, we see it in front of us unfolding, and we're just kind of like, I don't know, whatever. Others of us, I don't know, I haven't seen Jesus in the flesh, but I can see his work, and I know what is waiting for me at the end. So let me give you this truth this morning that hopefully resonates with you. Hopefully it reminds you, or perhaps this is the first time you're hearing it, is that hope is waiting for you. That there is an eternal promised hope since the beginning of creation all the way till now. And it will last for forever. That this hope is waiting for you. And that's not a hope based on your strength. That's not a hope based on your works. That's not a hope based on your church attendance. It's a hope based on the life of Jesus. 
his life, his death, his resurrection. See, the hope of the world will be here for a moment. The hope of the world will be here today, but it will be gone tomorrow. Because the buzz will wear off. The money will run out. The emotions, the feelings will fade. But the hope in Jesus is secure. It is unchanging. It doesn't end. It is proven. It was the same from the beginning, today, and through tomorrow. God said, you want to know that this hope is real? Boom, here's my son Jesus, born in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. He will live, he will die, he will raise again, and he will give you that eternal hope. And all you need to receive it is faith in him. That when all hope seemed lost, because it was a few hundred years before Jesus came, he came. When all hope seemed lost because Jesus took his final breath on the cross and they laid him down in the tomb, he rose from the grave three days later. When all hope seemed lost for Peter and Paul and all the disciples and us today, I don't know where to go, where to turn, I don't know what to do. Jesus says, have no fear because my spirit will be in you. It will be your God. It will be your comfort. My hope is waiting for you. Peter goes on to say at the midpoint of his letter, he says, always be prepared to have an answer for the reason of the hope that you have in Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15. Here's my thing, and I need you to hear me when I say this. I can't offer you lasting hope. I'm a man. There is nothing that I can do to offer you an eternal lasting hope, but the one thing that I can do, the one thing that I hope to do, The one thing that this church exists to do is to point you to the one who can. If you came in here this morning kind of feeling down, a little lost, confused, perhaps a little concerned, a little broken, a little disheartened, don't look at me for your hope. Spoiler alert, I'll fail you. Look to Jesus, the promised hope from the beginning of time, because only hope found in Jesus lasts for eternity. Let me close with this illustration this morning talking about hope. I'm going to use this glass and water as an example. Now, many of us have kind of heard the saying, the phrase, well, is it half empty or half full? Well, it depends on your perspective, right? I think some of us go through this life believing perhaps that there is a God, but we stand back with our arms crossed. It's half empty. Come on, God, you got to prove yourself first. You've done a little bit. You're halfway there, but you got some more work to do. you got more things to solve, Lord. You've got some more illnesses to pick up. You've got some other ways you need to come through in my life, so I'm just going to sit here with my arms crossed and say, God, it's half empty. My half is half empty. And until you do you, Bo, well, we'll, we'll see what you got. And if you fill it up and you decide to do some cool things, then I'll believe in you. But until then, I don't know. I don't got a whole lot of hope in you, God. My arms are crossed. We sit back. And this is some of us. This is our perspective of hope. God, you didn't come through like I needed you to, like I thought you should. I don't really know if you're working or not. I'm going to wait, make my, make my determinants later. We'll see. And the others of us, we're not saying this was half empty. We're saying it's half full. We say, Jesus, I was empty. I had nowhere to turn. I was bone dry. I didn't know where to go, what to do. But look at what you've done. God, I had no other options. I had no other answers. I had no other solutions. But look how much you filled my life already. 
I remember of what I used to be. I remember of what my life looked like. I remember who I was, what I did, what I thought. And look at all you've done now. I know there's more to come. You have promised that this will become full. It will be overflowing at some point. But until then, I mean, I can reflect. Look at everything that you've already done. And if you've done this, I can only imagine what you're going to do next. If you come through for me here, I can only imagine what you're going to do for me there. If you have given me just this much hope already, only time will tell how much hope you will instill in me. Only time will tell how much hope you will give this life, give this world, give this kingdom. So my question for you and for all of us this morning, is your hope in God half empty or is it half full? Which is it? The reason that I am a half full, hopeful person is because I have seen Jesus work in my life. When I've been devastated, lost, confused, unsure of the future, don't know what's happening, don't know why this is unfolding, can't know if I'm going to be able to get up another day. I have been there, and I'm sure most of us have been there too. Jesus says, but I'm here. Think of what I've already done. Think of the comfort I've already given you, the peace I've given you, the community I've put in your life. I'm there. The reason I have hope in Jesus, I'm a half full hope person, is because I have seen that same spirit and power work mightily in this church and people in this church. There are people in this room today who were within an inch of their life or their loved one was within an inch of their life with sickness or illness, and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they received healing. At the same time, too, there's people who their, their, their loved one was within an inch of their life, and they were taken from them, but they still find an everlasting peace and joy because they say, my hope is not built in this life, but in the life that is to come. I have hope not because I've done something. I have hope not because I've earned it. I have hope because, man, look at what Jesus has done. And that is what this church is built on. Say, we don't want you to be a half-empty, hope-viewing, perspective person. We want you to say, think of what Jesus has done. And have hope and believe what he will do next. That's why I have hope for the church. I have hope for the the Christian. I have hope in the gospel that we have and we will continue to answer that call to provide hope as best we can to as many people as we can. But the only way we do that is to say, don't look here. Don't look in the hope of this world. Don't look in the things of this world. Don't even look in here. Look up there. Lift your hands and worship praise and there you will find the hope that has been promised through creation and that is a hope worth worshiping and celebrating this morning is it not would you pray with me as we continue to worship the hope that we have in our lord and savior jesus christ this morning heavenly father you are good you are so powerful and mighty and righteous and holy God, you bring justice when there is injustice. You bring freedom when there is bondage. You bring liberty when there is oppression. When sin so easily tries to hold us down and entangle us, you say, look at what Jesus has done. Find hope there because if I have given you freedom now, I will give you freedom later. 
Life's not easy. We know this, Lord. We look around us and we say, something's got to give. Something's got to change. And you are saying, I know. I know. That's why I sent my son, Jesus. That promised hope that is waiting for us all. God, we worship you and we sing out these praises to you because you are our eternal hope. It's your name that we pray. Amen.